In February 2004, Maura Murray emptied her bank account, drove four hours from school, crashed her car, got out, and vanished. Everyone has a theory. Was she murdered? Was it suicide? Did she run away? Join the search as an investigative reporter and former U.S. Marshal uncover new evidence, interrogate new witnesses, and trace down new leads in this riveting new investigative series. The Disappearance of Maura Murray, Saturdays at 7, 6 Central, and 9, 8 Central on Oxygen, the new network for crime. Previously on The Disappearance of Maura Murray. February 9th, 2004, Maura vanishes after crashing her car. They had no tracks from the accident scene into the woodlands. You don't have any signs of foul play. While looking into Mora's disappearance, I've pursued several theories. Running away, murder, a police conspiracy, suicide. Fred said, well, she's all depressed. Go out in the woods, you step off the trail, and you die. <laughs> Hello. I've explored what led Mora to take off that day. I asked her if everything was okay, and it sounded like she was crying. I think she was running from the men in her life. I thought we were really close, but everyone's got their secrets. The Murray family and others blame law enforcement. Their guy on the scene of a missing girl that hasn't been seen in 13 years. What did you do, mister? Do you wish you had gone back? Sometimes I think that I may have disappeared, too, if I did. But after unprecedented access to the investigation, we didn't find a conspiracy. What, the local police did something to Maura Murray? What is that based on? Which leads Art and I to a final conclusion. The most likely scenario is that she got into a car with somebody and was met with foul play. She was murdered. But who did it and why? Do you think that's blood? I mean, more than likely, it's human blood if it's up here in this room. Could this house hold the key? We have a house searched by canines, and they were getting a hit in this closet. Well, there could be something there. Really? The phenolphthalein test is a, uh, a color-based test, so you'll be able to see a really okay. bright pink color develop if blood is present. We're testing evidence from a house where it's rumored Mora was murdered. This is huge. These, this is all that is left of the house. Mora's father, Fred, acquired a bloody knife from the A-frame house, a knife he was told might have been used in Mora's murder. The police accepted the knife, but won't tell us if they've tested it. These wood chips are the next best thing because the blood is from the same alleged incident. If the Q-tip turns pink, it means we have a positive for blood, either animal or human. And if it's human blood, the answer could lead to solving Mora's disappearance.
I do see some pink color showing up, but it's extremely faint. And actually encouraged to see even a slight reaction. So what is the best thing we should do right now with the wood chips? I think the best uh, move forward is to go ahead and send it to DNA. As we wait for a lab to tell us if it's human blood on the chips and if the blood is Mora's, I think about everything we've done, the theories we've debunked, and the many people we've spoken with. To be honest, it feels in many ways like we've hit a roadblock, or worse, that we have nothing left. And if we have nothing left and nothing left to lose, why not take a shot on something controversial? Medium Allison Dubois has been helping solve crimes for over 20 years. She's worked with police departments in Arizona, as well as the Texas Rangers. She's even had a TV series made based on her life experiences. It's called Medium. Art and I have invited her to New Hampshire. Hi. Hi. Maggie, nice to meet you. Allison. Hi, Allison. Art Roderick. Art, thanks nature. for coming in. We haven't told Allison anything about this case. She only knew she was flying into Manchester, New Hampshire, and that the case was about a missing woman, nothing more. So your process is you know nothing about this case I know case nothing at all. about this case. You if know? I knew something about it, I actually couldn't work it because otherwise it taints what I get when I go to a crime scene and I really want to go off of nothing and just go off of my impressions and then I convey that information to you and then you ask me either to take it further or let's go down this road, let's look at that and then I go there. So I like to start with a wave of nothing, so it's pure. What do you need from us? How do you want to start? Uh, photograph. Sure. And name. This is Laura Murray. And the month and day she was born? She was born May 4th. OK. I know that this process seems strange to people. I have to put pencil to paper for it to like click with me. So OK. Um, one of the things about this young woman, she wouldn't stay away willingly. That's like, she wouldn't not come back. Do you sense that she's still alive? Um, how is this gonna be aired for the parents? My sense is that she's not alive. Do you feel anything? Normally she wouldn't like get into a car with somebody that she just met or that she didn't know that well. But you say vehicle, you said a car. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. I just kept seeing a car as being a part of like, maybe she took a ride from him. I did get the sense that someone she knows is either involved or knows the person who she was last with. Because her friends seem to be key to me. It's almost like some of them know pieces of information that they haven't um, shared because they don't think it's important or they're not putting it together. There are more than a couple people that know what happened to her. If it was one person that initially removed her, there were other accomplices that helped cover up some of the elements of this crime. So that's 
what I would be looking at, people that will connect you to him. You said to him. Yeah, it almost feels like a guy who would um, be unassuming, like he could smile at you and you'd trust him. Does she know that person? <sighs> um, it feels like she had seen him before or met him before, but they weren't, like, close. I have to reemphasize that Allison told us she knew nothing about this case prior to coming here today. So if she is actually connecting the dots, it's kind of freaky. A car, the idea that Mora got a ride with someone she knew, it all links to the possibility of a tandem driver, but not in the way we originally explored. Where we once considered that a tandem driver helped Mora escape her life, this version shows a person or people taking her life. He has a predatory element to him, more of like Ted Bundy. He'd be somebody that you would assume could never do that because they wouldn't have to because they're they're charming, you know. So, so you mentioned Ted Bundy. This sounds like a serial killer. Is she that she wouldn't have been the only uh, victim that he had? This isn't a one-time thing. This idea of a serial killer makes me think back to Brianna Maitland, a young woman who went missing around the same time as Mora. Do you know why she was in this area? Can you feel why she I was I have up to here? go to the place to pull that information. Are we going to go to the last place she was seen today as well? Absolutely. Let's, do that. Let's go. This is a solvable case. This doesn't have to stay cold. Sometimes it's a timing issue. Maybe it's time for this to come together the dots are going to be connected in this case. The dots are going to be connected in this case. It's solvable. This is a solvable case. Um, this doesn't have to stay cold. We're with medium Allison Dubois. Do you know why she was in this area? Can you feel why she I was I have up to here? go to the place okay. to pull that information. As we head to the crash site, Allison claims she's receiving impressions from Mora, who she says is no longer alive. Allison is relaying these impressions to us. She was like her dad, because she was like a daddy's girl. They'd both like give anybody the shirt off their back or just like salt of the earth, nice people. Anything about any other family members? I don't know why the mom's being shown as removed. So she's just showing her mom as removed. You mean removed like? Sometimes it's that they pass, or sometimes it's that they're emotionally disconnected and they're not feeling it's like they're dead inside. Allison says she didn't know a single aspect of Mora's story before she flew here to New Hampshire today. So if she's telling the truth, there would be no way for her to know that Mora's mother died unless she's either guessing or channeling Mora, as she claims. I feel really sick here. And um, initially, I wanted to think that, that she got in the car willingly, but it doesn't feel willingly. It doesn't feel amicable um, here. 
or I wouldn't feel as sick as I feel right now. So that's important. So, um, I mean, you said she knew this individual, possibly met him before. Casually. Casually. But he turned on her. You know, it's like he could be charming at first, but then turn on you. Is there a bar in town that would have been there that they could have stopped at or that they would have eaten at? Like We the... questioned that. Yeah. Because that feels really important to me. The idea that Maura stopped to meet up with someone she knew prior to her accident is something Art and I have been debating since we started this investigation. It's one of the possible reasons we think her journey took one hour longer than ours. It feels like he was said he was taking her somewhere that there were gonna be other people and they weren't there. And then she started to get afraid where he's like, no, 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 just go a little further, go a little further, you know? And it just turned into something more, something bad. Okay. Was his intention to hurt her? He does have a rapist energy to him. It just feels like this was taken too far because she fought him or, and, and also that she was gonna tell the people that she knew that were connected to him and he didn't want that. So it feels like it was something that may have been more date rapey gone wrong. To me, the friend group's the key to this. And the girls, like, it feels like there were two female best friends or like two females that you know, were really close to her and they didn't do anything wrong, but they do know that some of the males around them are a little nefarious or able to keep secrets for each other. Could the friends Allison is talking about be more as friends from UMass? We know Maura went to a dorm party with her close friend Kate and another girlfriend two nights before she left town. Could friends from this party have driven with Maura up to New Hampshire? And could something have gone wrong in the process? We need to revisit that night. It feels like he had friends that helped him get rid of whatever he needed to get rid of. But also, you're probably gonna find out that those three boys, two of them may have been brothers that would bring additional vehicles. And then that makes sense how she ended up on a different road in a different car because they would have been following her there or with, a, with one of the guys in the car with her and the other one's following. Allison's mention of three males stands out. Is she seeing three guys from the dorm party at UMass? Or is her vision three local men, which lines up with a rumor people in town have told me about there was a story about some young men who worked at the ski area over in Loon that lived and would have driven by that site on the way to work that didn't show up for work that night. It's unclear which set of men Allison is seeing. Either way, if Mora fell victim to foul play by three men, I wonder if the medium has any idea where Mora might be. Without her body, Mora is still just a missing person in the eyes of the law. She referenced a bridge being important, so I don't know how many bridges they have in this area. So it's what just feels like um, where her, where the evidence is, I'll say, is um, just outside of where they were looking. Like, she's not much further than where they were looking. But you think that her body is nearby? Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a street that's more of a dead end where only locals go. And only locals go there to drink or to get in trouble. In general, I'm skeptical about psychics, but I'm impressed with some of the detail Allison provided. 
I mean, some of the stuff she said was just flat out freaky. Yeah. I think talking to Kate, if ever we can get her, but I keep coming back to the, the thing that clicked with me is the three. The three guys. Three guys. Possibly two brothers that knew this area that had a fight with her in the woods around here somewhere. There's a bridge nearby. There's a dead end road that he took her down. I mean, it's going to be hard to pinpoint that, but those are pretty specific facts that if we ever get to a location like that, we should contact her. A location at a bridge near the accident site, but just outside the search zone. A dead end where locals go and drink. This is what we need to find. Our meeting with medium Allison Dubois was interesting. She made some strong correlations to a few of the theories Art and I have been tracking. Her friends seem to be key to me. It's almost like some of them know pieces of information that they haven't um, shared because they don't think it's important or they're not putting it together. She referenced a bridge being important, so I don't know how many bridges they have in this area. In the weeks since we met her, as the snow in the North Country melts winter away, Art and I feel compelled to take a deeper look at some of what Allison shared. We've been talking to locals and researching bridges that fit Allison's criteria for where Mora's body or evidence of her disappearance may have been dropped. In February 2004, Maura Murray emptied her bank account, drove four hours from school, crashed her car, got out, and vanished. Everyone has a theory. Was she murdered? Was it a suicide? Did she run away? Join the search as an investigative reporter and former U.S. Marshal uncover new evidence, interrogate new witnesses, and trace down new leads in this riveting new investigative series. The Disappearance of Maura Murray, Saturdays at 7, 6 Central, and 9, 8 Central on Oxygen, the new network for crime. Meanwhile, I've called Mora's best friend from UMass, Kate, countless times. She was with Mora at the dorm party. If anyone would know something, it's her. But she never picks up. I'm trying one last time at her house in person. Hi, Kate. This is Maggie Freeling calling again. I am in the area where you live. So if you can call me back, I would appreciate it. Thanks. With nothing from Kate, I'll revisit the potential drop sites. Although they may be a long shot, it feels like I should. Art and I have narrowed the search to three bridges that fit within Allison's description. At a dead end, by a bridge where kids party, just outside the search zone. We've invited the medium back to the region to check them out. So, Allison, could you tell us just a little bit about your process when we get there, you know, what you're going to do? Usually I'll at least get an impression or a vision will flash through my head of something that happened there. Usually a, a death will leave an indelible mark, and even though it's been 13 years, there'd be a trace of something, so I'm hoping that this is the case here. Mora's crash occurred on Route 112 in Woodsville. The official search for her extended in a 12-mile radius. Art and I have found three bridges just beyond the search area, 
all along Route 112 and all fitting Allison's criteria. A little bit of a creep factor here. Yeah, it's creepy, but it just doesn't feel like murder, and I'm just not getting that impression here. Okay. We've got some other spots. No fire, <laughs> no alcohol, no camping. Wow, this is definitely a party spot. Yeah, this is a party spot. What I can say is if I'm seeing the bridge, I'm seeing it from her eyes. So this is not where she was killed. OK. Because this is not what she would have seen. How far away was she from it? Does it seem like it was close, like she was under it? Not under it. Far enough away that she could see it in its entirety. Is where she was killed close to where her body might have been dumped? Yes. Yes. Two bridges down, one to go. This last bridge is our most hopeful. It's closest to the crash site. Well, this is a dump site, for sure. Yes, I agree. It's definitely deeper here. Well, and that's more what I'm looking for, where it's deep to where she wouldn't necessarily get caught up on shallow rocks. There'd be a way to keep flowing right. downriver. This is more like what I was seeing. The difference, I guess, would be that the top of the bridge didn't look so rounded. So, so it was more of a straight angle that's as opposed to more, arched. Like more of a straight angle, okay. the way I saw it, so. Okay. You know, from the places we brought you, I mean, what do you think? I mean, I'm just not feeling anything. Right. Could Allison's impressions have been beyond the drop sites we researched? Absolutely. There are hundreds of bridges branching further out into the state. What's more, this idea that maybe three men were somehow involved with Mora hasn't panned out. We haven't spoken to Kate or anyone who was at that dorm party at UMass. And Art and I haven't been able to identify the three men who we call the Loon Mountain Three. In fact, police have never officially named them suspects which means we're pretty much out of leads. There is one thing hanging, though. The coordinates that Tim and Lance told me about when I first interviewed them. So you do a map search, you find the coordinates. It's White Mountains, it's uh, Mount Kerrigan. Good conditions there and back. Without making any uh, stops, it's like a seven and a half hour. It's a yeah. full day, like it's a full day hike. Seven plus hours into the wilderness, would someone really go through the effort of taking Mora up there, dead or alive? It's a really creepy story why this coordinates is a thing in this case. James Renner was emailed these coordinates a few years ago, said stop looking, and the sender was, it was like Ray Ramey, but if you rearrange the letters, it spells Mora Murray. Would it be possible for somebody to bring a body up there? It's just something that we know is probably a wild goose chase, but it's something that you really need to check off the list. So they tried. Tim and Lance booked a room in nearby Lincoln, New Hampshire, ready to make the trek. And that's when the trouble started. We got tweeted a penny 
the year of the penny was 1982, which is Mora's birth year. The tweeter was like a skull and crossbones logo. And the more we looked at it, the more it started to come together. This was the day before we yeah. were gonna stay Lincoln in Lincoln. Lincoln is on the penny, and it, the, the year on the penny was Moore's birthday. And Which is creepy. Tim and Lance felt the tweet was bizarre, but it wasn't cause for concern. Yet as they arrived in Lincoln, they received more strange emails. He's getting closer to threatening. At one point, he says to us, Tommy Conrad was assassinated on his mother's front lawn for not minding your own goddamn business. Who was the, Tommy Conrad? Tommy Conrad is someone who was shot on his mom's lawn in 2005. From the area? From yes, the area. in Haverhill. It's unsolved still. Did you guys track that email? Were you able to track the email? I had a co-worker who was a, a real clever IT guy. And I took the emails to him, and he came back to me, and he was like, Whoever did this, like, knows knows what they're doing. It's buried. It's buried. It's buried and made to look like a, a like a bot. The tweet, the threat, the mention of an unsolved murder in Haverhill, the same town where Mora disappeared. All of it put Tim and Lance on edge. We were just like, no, this is it's not worth it because if it's not a body that we're finding up there, it's it's probably a trap. If there's anything, if there's anything, it's probably a trap. Sure. The story of the coordinates would have ended there. But a few months went by, and the podcasters got another bizarre email, this time from someone entirely new. We were sent photographs uh, from a hiker who was hiking up there alone and found ribbons that said, R.I.P. Maura Murray, um, strung around a tree. And we had a Skype call with her, so she's legit. She seemed just like, just like a hiker. Whoever this person is who sent this email did go up there. They're not just sending some random coordinates. I mean, they went to this location. Yeah. If anyone was directly involved with Morris' disappearance, does that have anything to do with the coordinates? There's only one way to find out. You have to get there. You know, there has to be a thorough search there, which I don't believe has ever been done. It was just some random coordinates, I think. Maybe not so much, but we know someone did go through the effort of going up there, so what else could they have done? And I think that needs to be checked out. I've been focusing on this case for close to six months, trying to tie leads together and find out what ultimately happened to Maura Murray. What if this person, who has been emailing Tim and Lance, is the same person or people Allison saw when she channeled Maura? The possible connection reminds me I've come too far to just leave this lead hanging. Plus, we have the resources Tim, Lance, and Renner never had. If anything happens to us, we'll have cameras recording it all for the police to consult. All right, let's go. One week later, after hiring a local mountaineering guide, it's time to make the hike. But as we set out with the podcasters, something bizarre happens. We received another email from the same person. Really? It says, stop looking again is the subject line. It says, since Renner didn't get it back in 2014, maybe spelling it out will help. Good luck. And then he puts the coordinates again. Wow. That's bizarre. All you have to do is think about who knew we were doing this. I didn't tell anybody. Tim didn't tell anybody. 
Hell, I didn't even tell my wife I was doing this. I'm a little bit in, in shock over it. What do you guys make of this? You changed your passwords and your emails. I mean, what do you, did someone else, like, is this a coincidence? Is someone? No way it can be a coincidence, my God. changed your passwords and your emails. Is someone still in your email? As if there wasn't already enough intrigue surrounding the coordinates, Tim and Lance receive another mysterious email. It comes on the very same day we're hiking to the spot where we might find clues to Mora's disappearance. I didn't tell anybody. Tim didn't tell anybody. Hell, I didn't even tell my wife I was doing this. This is definitely weird. It's obvious that either our email has been hacked or we're being watched. It's exactly this kind of thing that caused Tim and Lance to call off their previous search. What could this person be protecting? What is up here? I need to find out. Dustin Cormier is a certified mountain rescue and trail guide. He'll be our escort to the coordinates. We wanted to come here before. We uh, attempted it, um, but we got sufficiently spooked out. We didn't know if there was a trap yeah. set for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope there's no traps. <laughs> Every time someone tries to come here, it seems like uh, this uh, mysterious emailer returns. Huh. Like it, today. So the guy sent you the same coordinates yes. again today? Yes. yes. <laughs> It really is creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so as far as what we're looking for, it could be anything. It could be an artifact, it could be... I mean, I don't want to sound like paranoid, but I just keep our eyes peeled for anything along the way. Okay. If we do come across anything, don't touch it. Yep. Right. All okay. Right? Yep. Because we might have to make a phone call and get gotcha. law enforcement up here in case of some type of evidentiary yeah. nature, so... All right. As we prepare to set out, Lance enters the coordinates into Dustin's GPS mapping unit. This particular destination is an especially dense part of the White Mountains, a virgin forest virtually untouched through the centuries. Our target location is some 48 miles from Mora's crash site. It's on the backside of Mount Kerrigan's Peak, a nearly 15-mile round-trip hike with 6,000 feet of elevation change. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. And with that, we're off. One of the emails that we got, the second email, was a rhyme. It said, twice a year ago, I told you where. Look again, she is still there. Huh? So we've just been kind of analyzing the process of bringing a body to these coordinates. What's the trail like in the winter? This would be, it'd just be like four feet of deep layered snow. Okay. One Do of the, people uh, uh, snowmobile up here? No, this is wilderness, so you can't even bike. Bringing a body up here is like a challenge. Could you bring packing like a horse or a mule up here? I've never seen it, but... Okay. I mean, you could do it. You could snowshoe in. Did you put it on like a sled and drag it? Yeah. If the person's still alive. Art just had a good point. If the person's still alive, you're hiking in with somebody. So she could have walked there on her own mm -hmm. and then gotten killed. 
Does anyone else feel like we're being watched? Totally. It's just super creepy. We're right now at one hour and 17 minutes since yeah. we left the beginning of, of the river road. So we've come 1.7 miles. Let's do it. So we're going up and over? Yeah. OK. Cool. Summit. Came up Signal Ridge Trail. We're gonna head down Desolation Trail, which is right there. It's super steep. It's like 1,700 feet down to about where our GPS coordinates are. A little ways into the woods once we get there, but we're getting close. Okay. And there might be a chance of the. Uh... This is someone playing a sick joke. Then we we do have to be careful. Watch our step out there. Guys, looks like we're getting pretty close to where we leave the trail. It's going to be pretty nasty in the woods. After seven miles of trekking into the wilderness, we're about to go off the trail into deeper woods with more treacherous terrain to the exact coordinates. That's some pretty thick woods. So when we do go in there, what are we, what are we looking for? Traps. Any type of human remains? Yeah. Articles of clothes, yeah. jewelry, okay. Um, anything out of place. Uh, I mean, who knows? But yeah, keep your eyes peeled for anything that might harm you. Traps. Let's do it. I'll start in, and you guys just follow me. It's dense. This is unreal. Holy crap. Especially one of the craziest days of my life. <laughs> you OK? Yeah. How far? Halfway. Halfway. Ow. Looks like you cleared up a little bit right now. <sighs> this is pretty much it. So, I don't know. It's going to be hard to find anything, but I think if we just look in this, like, 30-foot block. We've made it to the coordinates. Our plan now is to search the immediate area for any clues or anything out of the ordinary. What is that right there? Where? What'd you find? Something there. Hold on. Right there. Here? Lance, you making this out? Can you see it? I think I see it. Hold on. Nah. Nah, here? Oh my god. There's a bright green something down there. Nah, it's nothing. It's just a tree. Find anything? Nope. No, there's nothing down here. There's not even a real clearing. There's no evidence. No trap. No Mora. The coordinates were one of our last roads to travel down. 
Although we feel like we've closed the lid on a number of theories, pregnancy, police conspiracy, car sabotage, running away, we've come up empty-handed at practically every turn. It's clear we've exhausted what we can do without the information the police hold dear and keep secret. There is one last thing, though. The DNA results of the wood chips is back from the lab. We're meeting with Dr. Lori Baker, an anthropology professor at Baylor University who specializes in forensic analysis of human remains. She'll interpret the results of the test for us. Well, I um, have the DNA results. You want me to walk you through a little bit about how this was done? Yeah. Absolutely. So the DNA tests were done by swabbing the blood samples, and it went through a series of trying to get rid of the inhibitors that would have been found in the wood and so forth, and we were able to get some interesting results. This is definitely blood that was on these wood chips. Absolutely positive for blood. Is it human or animal? Human. Wow. So you have the DNA from humans, and you actually have the DNA from two individuals. Wow. I, I, I didn't think we were going to get anything, actually. Did the police know that you tested the sample? Because I think you're going to want to share this with them. Really? Why? Is one Mora? There is a possibility that this could be Mora. Wow. Would you like me to show you? Yes. All right, so in the sample that was taken, there were actually two individuals. And one of those individuals happened to be male. What we cannot tell is if the other profile is a female. We're not able to take these samples and separate them out, so we're not able to see which sample came from which individual. So what we would have to do is take Mara's DNA and compare it to this profile. So the first step would be to find out does her DNA match any of those numbers on that sheet? Right, and especially this particular number where we have a full profile. Okay. And if it doesn't, it's not. It's not. The state of New Hampshire has Mora's DNA on file. So Art and I are going to share the results with them right away. So uh, Chuck West just called me, and I was waiting for you to get here before I called him back to find out what information he's got. Let's call him. Yeah. Hey, Chuck, it's Art Roderick. How you doing? No problem. Chuck West is part of New Hampshire's cold case unit and is one of the officials heading up Maura Murray's case. All right, Chuck. Thanks, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. What do you say? Take a look. This is huge. Yeah, I think this is something the whole family should hear. Let's get them together. Yeah. Hi, Fred. How are you? Good, 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 good. good. Look at you, Fred. Hi, Julie. Shorts and everything, all leisurely. Oh, look at it. Look at it. Hey, Jules, how are you? How are you doing? Good to see you. Chuck West of New Hampshire's cold case unit 
told us that since the sample of blood taken from the wood chips is so degraded and the chain of custody so unclear, that it would be impossible for them to identify if it's Mora's blood. It could literally be the blood of almost anyone, and so it would never be admissible in court. But Chuck did give us other information that is encouraging. So basically what has happened is since we have started working on this, the state police are looking into, or if you want to say reopening the case. So they're going back and re-interviewing everybody. everybody. They've established three task forces. They're going back to the very beginning, looking at all the forensics, re-examining everything from day one on. They've even gone getting a yellow notice. It's an Interpol notice, and it blasted out to 190 countries wow. with all the information on Mora, her DNA, um, and they're checking all their records in case she did go across the Canadian border. Law enforcement's re-engagement in Mora's case is promising. The state has even agreed to give us a piece of evidence that they've never before released publicly, the ATM footage. Mora's family has been fighting for this. 13 years. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a series of shots taken every three or four seconds. So it's not like an actual video. Do you recognize that jacket, though? I don't. Yeah, I don't either. I don't need to ask Mara. Oh, no, it's Mara. I started this project wanting to find justice for Mora. One example of the 70,000 missing women in the United States. Yet while Art and I haven't learned what ultimately happened to her, I have come to realize a few things. So many people are quick to dismiss these 70,000 missing women as runaways. They are often considered overly emotional, thought of as having no other way to handle their so-called bad day than to leave it all behind. But after almost a year of connecting with people in Mora's life, I feel confident that Mora didn't willingly walk away. There's nothing in her history that hints that she would leave her family forever. Something bad happened to her, and it's possible she's no longer alive. I hope I'm wrong, but my gut tells me I'm not. Maybe now, with the police digging back in, they'll go over what Art and I found and compare it to information they keep private. Or maybe someone will see this series and finally reach out to law enforcement with the tip they have been waiting for. I hope our quest for answers will produce results. I hope our work gives the Murrays the break they've been looking for, for 13 years. If somebody comes forward seeing this, right. that would be what right. it takes. Right. Somebody that nobody knows about. Right. Somebody knows something. And, There's no doubt about it. And they've been afraid to come out. 
right. for their personal safety. But now that this has reached the level that it has, maybe they'll be a little less reluctant to remain in the shadows. I think this is all just beginning. I think there's going to be a lot of information. I think you guys are going to get a lot of answers. Well, <laughs> it's a direct response to uh, you folks working on the case, and we'll be forever uh, in your debt for it. Something good's going to happen, and I believe it. And not just because I have to believe it, but I do believe it. This is a break we've been looking for for 13 years. Mara knows that we're pulling out all the stops. Come on, kid. We'll find you. If you have any information on the disappearance of Maura Murray, please contact New Hampshire's Cold Case Unit. On February 9th, 2004, Maura Murray nearly emptied her bank account, drove four hours from school, crashed her car, got out, and disappeared. Everyone has a theory. Some people think she was murdered. Some people think she committed suicide. Others think she ran away. What do you think? And there's a new search. As an investigative reporter, a former U.S. Marshal, two wildly popular podcasters uncover the evidence, interrogate witnesses, and track down new leads in this riveting new investigative series. The Disappearance of Moore Murray. Saturdays at 7, 6 Central and 9, 8 Central on Oxygen. The new network for crime.